0: I was driving westbound, just south of Interstate 10, back in the Panhandle for the first time in over six months. My girlfriend Robin lives here, and I was visiting her and her family before the holidays. Off the interstate, almost instantly, you could see the debris. Hurricane Michael swept through a little over two months ago, and for the next two hours, all I could see were the after effects. I don't know if you've ever seen a city, or in this case, several cities covered in debris, trees downed everywhere, and nearly every building with a blue tarp on the roof, indicating that, yes, bad things had happened here. If you haven't, nothing I can do here can explain it to you. It's just surreal. A whole part of the state just wiped out. And yet, as I drove west for two more hours, and I passed cities torn apart, something was evident. Life went on. Signs reading, yes, we're open, scattered through small businesses, and there were crews working on houses every few minutes or so, replacing shingles or clearing out a few fallen branches. 2018 could not take them down. Panama City remains. I'm Nick D'Elisandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, the Floridian Podcast. It's the last show of 2018 and our 20th since we started in late July, and I'd like to tell you a few stories that highlight the kind of year we had. More specifically, I'd like to tell you about 5 cities, from the Panhandle to the Everglades. First, Panama City. On October 10th of this year, a massive hurricane swept northeast across the Panhandle of Florida, devastating several coastal towns around Panama City, including Panama City Beach, Lynn Haven and Mexico Beach. It was labeled a Category 4 when it hit, but with 155 mph sustained winds, many leaders in the Panhandle are requesting that it be labeled a Category 5. And that the area receive appropriate help category 5s however start being registered at 157 miles per hour thus hurricane michael falls just too short according to the orlando sentinel registering the damages cat 5 damage would get more help from the infamous federal emergency management agency or fema the sentinel reports that bay county home of panama city took out 50 million dollars worth of loans in order to help with various hurricane relief efforts such as debris removal My drive to Panama City took me through two neighboring counties named Calhoun and Gadsden. These counties are noticeably more rural, and their town centers are smaller and poorer. The damage along this corridor is stunning, and the amount of downed buildings cannot even be counted. The trees bend at bizarre angles, too tall to have snapped properly. They're warped by the wind. Talking to the residents of the town, the hurricane is still profoundly felt. Many feel forgotten, feel that the coverage and support has fallen to the wayside. Many are still without power and internet, and many businesses are still recovering. The hurricane looms. In the waiting room of a restaurant along a major roadway in Panama City, I noticed several blossoming conversations about the storm. How was it for you? Anything significant? They were sharing stories, sharing hardships. I don't want to give you the impression that things are just magically healing in Panama City. Much is to be done, and an entire massive community has had their lives upturned. They still need help. Debris still riddles front yards, buildings are still covered in blue tarp, trees are still sitting with their roots exposed along roadways. It's not just gone for the panhandle. So I'll leave you with this. Donate, if you can, to the American Red Cross using the link below or Florida Disaster Fund at their link below. It can only get better if we help, and hopefully by this time next year, the panhandle will look a lot different than it does today. Now, let's move south, way south, all the way south, to the opposite end of the state in Florida's most famous city, Miami. Miami had a hard year. The suburb of Parkland faced tragedy when 17 people were killed by gunmen at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, including students. The survivors of the attack became prominent figures, joining the fight for gun control in the national spotlight. The city of Parkland and the school have faced scrutiny from opponents from the NRA to anchors from Fox News. Regardless, this fight for change bore some progress following the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Act, signed by former Governor Rick Scott, that brought more restrictive gun laws and set up several ways to protect students on campuses. Scott was sued by the National Rifle Association, but the act stands. Miami also received loads of international attention for other troubling information. The impacts of climate change are felt every day and felt so intensely in our country from Hurricane Michael itself to the devastating fires in California. Miami is facing an unusual predicament, the ticking clock to a potential flood. Whether or not this is an immediate threat seemed unclear, but the spotlight came after the United Nations released a report on climate change. It was incredibly dire and concerned many with its messages. Emissions have to be reduced significantly in the next 12 years, or the world will face catastrophic impacts, such as the world heating. Heating, on the planet, is an obvious concern for coastal cities, as melting ice would raise the sea level. Southeast Florida is on the case, however, having formed the Southeast Florida Regional Climate Change Compact. This group combines efforts from Broward, Miami-Dade, Monroe, and Palm Beach counties, and uses information from the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It's a huge undertaking, and their predictions on sea level rise exists on scales. Year by year, they chose a range of how many inches the water will rise. 2060 is the big year for many, with some predicting this to be a bit of a doomsday year for Miami. The UN says the ocean will rise 14 inches by then. NOAA predicts 34, and the Army Corps gives 26. At max, that's less than 3 feet. For reference, scientists are saying that the last time we were this warm, the sea level was approximately 20 to 30 feet higher than the present. Just for reference. But some are optimistic. They believe that a change in the public consciousness is happening, and that many will turn to see how critical this is. Many call the rise inevitable due to the decades of fossil fuel damage we have already done to our planet, a consultant to this group named John Englander says quote, If the world does reduce its energy emissions as a high priority, we can prevent sea level rise from becoming truly catastrophic. Miami is technically part of the sea, having been built on top of parts of the reclaimed Everglades, the brackish ecological behemoth that once made up most of the southern parts of our state. When the water rises, and it will rise, it's up to us. Or. Rather, it's up to some key companies, as one report shares that just 100 companies have been contributing over 70% of the dangerous emissions for the past 30 years. So when I say, it's on us, I really mean, it's on them. I'll be visiting Miami next month, in search of the famous environmentalist Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, and to tell you more about these changes to the ecosystem, and how the sins of the past affect our future. Speaking of sins of the past, we now move to our state capital, Tallahassee, where a new Congress is beginning their career. Until 2020, as the governmental body in charge of the passing and repealing of laws. Made up of 120 representatives and 40 senators, the Republican Party holds a majority in both chambers with 23 senators and 73 representatives. State congresspeople have term limits, fortunately, with a maximum of eight years in office for both positions. They meet in a 60-day session every year, starting in March. Many are saying that March is going to look a lot different for this legislature than it did last year, with Democrats having a more significant sway than they did in 2018, despite the Republican majority. This gathering of the session in March is significant for many reasons, one of which being a controversial statement that came from our new governor last week. Republican Ron DeSantis sparked controversy when he started insinuating that he would delay the recently passed Amendment 4 from going into effect. You'll remember that Amendment 4 would, quote, "...automatically restore the right to vote for people with prior felony convictions except those convicted of murder or a felony sexual offense upon completion of their sentences, including prison, parole, and probation." Unquote. This was passed with 5.2 million people voting in favor. Note the word automatic. While this is not necessarily an appropriate word as it didn't go into effect on November 6th, the amendment would go into effect on January 8th. Our new governor as other ideas. DeSantis says that the aforementioned legislature should pass this amendment by implementing through legislature. This would delay the effect until at least March 5th, nearly five months after the approval of the amendment. DeSantis says that the implementation plans are necessary, but others, including members of his own party, are saying that the amendment is, quote, self-executing and does not require implementing legislation, unquote. That comes from our Senate President, Bill Galvano, a Republican. DeSantis is thus starting off his term on a bit of a sour note. Rick Scott is ending his term as governor and moving to the U.S. Senate, and is leaving behind things to be proud of, like a low unemployment rate and the aforementioned sweeping gun bill. His record on healthcare and the environment leave much to be desired, and that low unemployment rate does not take in low-wage jobs, which is a significant percentage in our state. DeSantis has a huge legacy to follow, as Rick Scott was, for better or worse, one of our most significant governors. What comes next? It's hard to tell. Our 46th governor, DeSantis, will have to face many of the problems Scott left behind, including the most notable, most recent, most present beast, the algal bloom. You'll remember that this algae bloom started sweeping around the coasts of the state earlier this year. It came after the algae reached overflowing levels in Lake Okeechobee, and with an out-of-date levy, the water had to be drained. This is a result of two major issues, the first being a lack of funding for municipal water care, and the second being lobbying by the sugar industry to prevent usage of land that would dilute the algae. You've heard me talk about this several times, I'm sure, as I have comfortably decided that the sugar industry is my arch nemesis. I digress. Some funding has been sent our way from the federal government by a Congress. It will provide f- increased funding for the communities affected by the blooms. Bill Nelson, the outgoing Democratic Senator of 18 years and a Republican representative from Palm City named Brian Mast supported this bill. MAST, in particular, places the blame on the lack of support from the federal government and adds, quote, The government needs to stop prioritizing special interests over human health and put an end to the crisis once and for all, unquote. This comes after many have become sick due to exposure, and some domesticated animals have actually died from the bloom. This does not include the countless wildlife washed up dead on our beaches and the economic impact from beaches being closed. It's the kind of thing that can leave a dent when your state relies on tourism as its prime industry. By the time summer rolls around and the heat affects our waters again, hopefully things will have changed. It would be nice to have one less thing to worry about around here. Speaking of change, I talk about that a lot on here. It's the central conceit of the show, after all, the idea that Florida has yet to solidify into one thing, its ideas and problems shifting and moving, always. The show has been around for five months, not even half a year, and in just 20 episodes, so much has changed. In just researching this... So much has changed. So many of our issues and concerns have shifted. Some for the better, but honestly, most for the worst. In five months, it will be summer again, the moist heat creeping into our world yet again. Hopefully by June, things will look different, better, sunnier, because I'm not gonna sugarcoat this anymore. We have so many problems right now. And as much as my optimism likes to remind me that things can change, so many things stay the same as much as we try corrupt politics, apathy towards the environment, systemic racism, governmental prejudice, and that's just to name a few. Things that shake you to your core, and you spend too long pondering them. I'm not going to sugarcoat them anymore. But instead of doing that tonight, I'll leave you with the words of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, a woman whose name re-entered the American consciousness in the worst possible way. Instead of remembering her name through the tragedy, remember her name for this. A quote about change, from her book, The Everglades' River of Grass. Where do you begin? Because when you think of it, history, the recorded time of the earth and of man, is in itself something like a river. To try to present it whole is to find oneself lost in the sense of continuing change. The source can be only the beginning in time and space, and the end is the future and the unknown. What we can know lies somewhere between the course along which for a little while one proceeds. The changing life, the varying light must somehow be fixed in a moment, clearly, from which one may look before and after and try to comprehend the wholeness. Which brings me to our last city. I promised you five. Here's the fifth it's your city, wherever you live. Mine is Altamont Springs, located right in the i 4 Corridor in Seminole County. Take advice from Marjorie, and as 2018 comes to a close, comprehend the wholeness. Beyond your room, beyond your house, your city, your county, your state, your country. Comprehend the wholeness of the river we are sitting in, and remember that all we know is somewhere between. And use what you know like a tool, the first brick build towards that unknowable future. You know what, better yet, why not build it together? Until next time, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. The sources and songs are in the description below. I'll keep this short. I'll be back next week with more every Friday, right here. Thank you for listening. Have a very, very happy new year. I know it's going to be a good one. This has been Wait 5 Minutes. Be good to yourself. Be good to each other. And for your New Year's resolution, I've got an easy one for you if you haven't picked one out yet. Why not drinking more water? I'll see you in 2019. Happy New Year.